Welcome to Can We Talk? Taxes, Trustees, and Entrepreneurs. Certified Public Accountant Carol Felsing shares her years of expertise with you to help you make the best financial decisions possible. She founded Felsing LLC in 2013 after years of experience working in national, regional, and local firms. And now, here's your host, Deborah Hendrickson, and of course, Carol Felsing. Hello, and welcome back to Can We Talk? We learned during our last podcast what is involved in starting a small business. Today, we will learn about small business banking and why you need a personal banker. Our host today is Carol Felsing, joined by her guest, Jeff Brumel. Jeff moved with his family from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Orlando in 2001. He has been in banking for 39 years and has worked for national, regional, and community banks. In his tenure in banking, he has seen an enormous amount of change in the industry. Currently, Jeff is hub manager in the Soto office for South State Bank. Now, here is Carol Felsing and Jeff Brumel. Good afternoon. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Carol. It's wonderful to be here with you. Today, I have Jeff Brumel with South State Bank with me. He has been my long-term banker for very many years, and a lot of things I couldn't have done without your help. So I want you to share some of the things you helped me do and help some other small businesses. So we work with a lot of people that think they want to start a new business. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something that a new business owner should look at with regards to banking needs? In my experience, I always look at the individual who comes into the financial institution. We look at how do they structure the new company. Limited liability company, corporation, S or C, mm-hmm. partnership, sole proprietor. Right. Those are the first things that we look at because of liability purposes and how we structure the account. The second thing that we look at is do they have their EIN number, an SS4 letter from the Internal Revenue Service, and did they file their articles or fictitious name registration with the state of Florida? Right. Of course, identification, social security number, things of that nature. So those are the prerequisites. Right. And then we look into what type of account are they looking for and what type of services do they think they need? So you have to dive into their process of what type of account they're looking for because most banks have treasury management, online banking, bill pay, things of that nature. So these are things that will help the client operate their account on a day-to-day basis, monthly basis, and so on and so forth. So these are things that we look for. I know one of the things that pops up a lot is filing those articles or member agreements. They say, well, it's just me. I'm the only one in the business. Well, it doesn't matter. You still have to have those articles. You still have to have those member agreements for any type of business. Speaking of agreements and mistakes, what are some mistakes that you see a lot with new businesses starting out? So when a new business, once again, when a new business comes through and they're talking about the processes and services, we always look at how new is the business? Were they just established? Have they filed their documentations with the um, state of Florida? Department of Corporations. If they've done all of that, then once again, we look at what type of accounts and what type of services they're looking for. That's extremely important. You don't want to put a client into one account that they really don't need. We try not to, at least at South State, upsell something that you know the client will never use. Right. That's not the way we do business. When we're talking about various types of bank accounts, I know some clients, especially those that are taking wire transfers in and out, mm-hmm. I know you recommend having a separate account for those wire transfers. I do. 
what other things would they might need a separate bank account for? So for payroll, right? which is a large one, because if they utilize just writing checks to uh, their staff, that should be a separate account. Right. And the other thing is wire transfers, ACHs. Now, a wire account or an ACH can be utilized differently because this information you're passing on to another organization or another individual that has your account number right. and has your bank routing numbers and your title to your company. Right. Fraud across the board is rampant. Right. And so we try to mitigate that with the number of accounts. Now, you don't want 10 different accounts, but two or three will help you immensely. We see a lot of separate accounts for payroll. Usually when you're involved, we do payroll, we do wire transfers, a regular business bank account. And sometimes if they're cash heavy, too, you'll have a money market that you of offer course. just to hold money for a period of three months until to hold them the rest of the year. When looking at a new banker, I know a lot of banks, and, and South State included, have kind of gone away from some of the brick and mortar. Yes. And so tell us about the services for online banking or remote banking that you think clients should be aware of. So initially, just for a standalone business checking account, no treasury management services, and we'll get into that if you like. Online banking, where they can place a stop payment, review their accounts daily, balances, and making sure individual checks or deposits were credited correctly. That's extremely important. But you can also do mobile deposits. Right. Business accounts do mobile deposits every day of the week. Right. You get a check for three or five or ten thousand dollars, and you don't feel like going to the physical bank, you know, or your brick and mortar branch is not close to you. Let's say they're ten miles away. You can do a mobile deposit. Yeah. It's credited to the account the next business day. Relationships that we have, we can clear a check immediately for our client. Sometimes, per regulations, we place a hold on it. If it's a brand new client. Right. But for the most part, we can clear a check within one day. We just remove the hold. Yeah. In that process, as you go along and you make mobile deposits, let's say you want to do a $50,000 deposit. Well, that's okay. You can call us and we can raise that limit. Standardized for, um, you know, an account less than 30 days, we will put a restriction on it. Right. Just like in accounting, there's different size firms, there's large firms, there's small firms, or there's no perfect firm for everyone, none yeah. at all. And I know, because I've been with you a long time, you, sure. you've served at the community bank, you've served at the mid-sized bank, and you've served at the national bank level. And they have sandboxes that they're good at in each one. What can you tell us a little bit about sandboxes for each type of firm? So in my experience, which is almost 40 years of banking, the larger banks, you can you can make a deposit today in Orlando, Florida, fly to California and make a withdrawal out yeah. because it's national. Regional banks, kind of same thing, same footprint. Community banks are local, but you can still travel and use ATM cards or things of that nature. To answer this, I'm going to use it personally. I think you should have a bank that knows you as a client, right. not a number. Right. If you are a number to a physical bank um, and you can't walk in and say hello to John or Jane Doe, that could be a problem for you. Right. Uh, for the most part, most of my clients, they can call me at a moment's notice on a Saturday and Sunday. I can lift my computer up and take a look at what they're, look, what they're asking about. Um, and I know he will do that if we if any oh, of clients. Of stuff. <laughs> National banks are fabulous. Um, 
they're soup to nuts. But regional and many community banks are also soup to nuts, as we say. Right. You know, they can do everything that a large bank can do. Now, keep in mind that when you're talking about investments and things, they may not have that type of division, right. which is fine. Um, South State Bank, for us, we have a large international complement, and we are also a holding company for some of the major smaller banks in, right. in the country. Um, internationally, as, as you deal, and that happens every so often, the larger banks can handle something more international than, a, than maybe a consumer bank, you know, a small community bank. But for the most part, my philosophy, either national, regional, or community, as long as you have a banker that you can call and say, Jeff, this is Miss Carol. You know, well, for you, you don't even have to say your name. Um, that is a relationship. It's the same thing with CPA. It's the same thing with your, your general practitioner for a doctor or so on and so forth. If you know those individuals and you can call them at a moment's notice, that is a relationship. And that's extremely important for this, I'm going to use the term, which I don't normally like to use, is a small client or a large client. It doesn't matter if you have $10 or $10 million. If you build that relationship with that banker and the banker moves down the street or they're 10 miles away from you, the relationship is always there. You may not see them every for every six months, maybe a year, and we look back at COVID, but they can still call in. I went to work every day. Right. Commercial lending and some of the other departments worked at home, but we did not. Yeah. We were always there. And that was particularly true on that relationship with a personal banker. I found that when all the PPP loans were going out yes. and the clients were applying for them, I personally experienced that my clients that had a personal banker that they could call and walk them through it, they got their money much faster than those that were a number in some of the banks where you just applied everything online. So, so that personal banker was critical in trying to get some of that PPP money out. So we, we did an enormous amount of PPP lending um, to help. And it didn't matter what type of industry you were as a client of ours, you know, retail, uh, uh, restaurants, uh, doctors, lawyers, it, it didn't really matter. Everything, everyone was affected. I had numerous clients that would call in and say, Jeff, I have a friend of mine who's at another bank and they closed all their PPP uh, requests at the moment. Now, they may have reopened at a later time and we try to help them as much as we could. Right. Um, but if one of my clients called in, we took care of them personally. What you did with me. You of made course. sure mine got to the right department, and I was one of the first funded, actually. Yeah. Our relationship, as, a, as like mm -hmm. you with your clientele, somebody needs something a little special, you can do that immediately because of your skill set. Right. Um, if you're in, like, a big CPA firm, right. you may not get the same service as somebody like Carol Felsing at Felsing LLC. The same thing with us. We, we try to accommodate those individuals who, if they called in to us, we took care of them personally. Right. We got their documentation. We sent it up. Now, we, didn't, we weren't doing the processing, but right. we could start the process and make sure it would go to the 
particular person who was handling it for our clientele. And follow it through. And follow through. Which is one of the big things we see um, when talking about a personal banker. So many people have gotten away from that relationship. They've gone to everything online, and then when they need something, they have no one to call. And they don't even know how to ask for what they need or what's even available. So that's why I really encourage small business to get that relationship started with a personal banker, ground zero. Yes. And make sure that you know, you you build that relationship with that individual at the bank. Even if they change branches, right. you keep with those individuals who get to know you. Um, hypothetically, if you call in and I'm unavailable, you have my staff who know, yeah. knows who you are, uh, which is fabulous for any client. Now, there may be situations where I'm unavailable, right. which I don't take much vacation, but I try hard. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone deserves um, a vacation. My staff is there to service the clientele. PPP, I just want to make sure that we're we're good with this subject, is, you know, when the clients called in, we took care of it. We went from soup to nuts. And then after they received their funds, then it was we were back to, you know, several months later uh, down the road. um, Then you were talking about forgiveness. And you had – there were certain documents that the federal government required under the – Small Business Administration, we would gather those up, send them up to our uh, department who handled the uh, PPP program. So the client, once they received the funds, still had the other step of getting the forgiveness. And we worked with them very closely. We had all their files, and we worked with them to make sure that that process was complete. When they received that letter saying, your forgiveness was forgiven, uh, then we could put that file to the side. Because I know you had almost like a checklist that when you got this stuff versus uh, someone just sending what they think is what they need up online, you literally went through it. Yes, we went through it. And that's what a personal banker does. I mean, not just in PPP or on on any loan issue that they may have. I know you do credit lines out there. you, You do fixed asset lending. So tell us a little bit about some lending that small business need looked at, and what is what does that small business person need to do to get themselves in a position to get financing? So we always, in conventional uh, process of lending, we always look at do they have two years tax returns, right. and if they don't have two years, then we always say, can you speak to your CPA to get interim financials? Right. Maybe you're nine months into your second year. We'll we'll take a look at that. For individuals who are new, there's a l- many different avenues. UCF, Seminole State, Valencia College have programs that will help an individual prepare right. for the lending process. Um, so we also will do that. But SBA has a couple different programs that they, they will utilize for new clients or right. new businesses right. that are looking for startups. And so there's parameters that they have to follow. And I know, especially with new businesses, because in most cases, that owner of that business is going to have to personally guarantee those lines or that loan, whatever the case may be. So if the owner hasn't gotten their credit fixed in advance, the chance for them getting funding is going to be hard down the road. Very much so. So if you if you have your credit bureau report and you're slow pay or you missed a couple payments, that affects you on your commercial side because if you are – we always say anyone 20 percent or above who is um, guaranteeing right. 
Right. We still look at your individual credit history. Right. And if your credit history shows that you haven't made your normal payments, that presents a uh, dilemma when you're doing it on the commercial side. That's right. So I think that's a, a, a key component that a lot of business owners don't really consider. It, it's a challenge. <laughs> that they don't consider. Now, I've also found with business lending, sometimes we need capital. People need capital, and we'll get back to that. But typically with, for small businesses, the easiest loan to get is for fixed assets, hard stuff that's tangible that you can get a lien on. Tell us a little bit, you know, kind of what the easiest loans are from the more difficult loans to get. So at the moment, if you were looking for a truck loan, let's say $25,000, dollars $40,000, they are pretty easy. We don't ask for tax returns yeah. uh, up to $50,000. Anything above that, we would ask for, for tax returns. But if you're looking for a line of credit, ten or fifteen or $20,000, just because of your type of business you're operating and you need cash flow for a certain period of time, the bank does offer most banks offer a line of credit, right. um, possibly unsecure where they file a UCC filing, right. which is the Uniform Commercial Code with the, uh, the state. So we're guaranteed, but we're really it's unsecured for us right. because it's furnitures and fixtures and things of that nature. But we'll still consider it right. as long as you as the borrower – with the company's credit is good and, you know, you have good repayment history, we will consider it. Right. Um, the other thing is, is that if you're looking for a larger amount, we may come back to you and say you need to place a home offer collateral or something of that nature. So there's several different ways to do it. Business assets, commercial property. Right. You know, there's a lot of different functionalities that we can do and you try to structure it to meet the bank's needs. And, of course, most importantly, you want to do it so it fits the client's needs. And I know one thing you've been a big proponent of, and um, I, I encourage my clients too, it's much easier to get credit when you don't need it mm-hmm. than to apply for it when you really do. So I encourage most of my clients to go ahead and get that line of credit, whether it be for $25,000, dollars $100,000. Go ahead and get the credit. Get that line of credit. So that way, when the time comes that you may need it, say you're going to go through a big project you're going to work on, you need enough cash up front to handle payroll until you can get paid, you can have it. You don't have to go once you've run out of money. Correct. There are some clients or some business clients have reciprocals. Think of um, Halloween and things of that nature or um, different areas of borrowing so if you have it at hand and you're having a cash crunch, you're better off having a line of credit before you apply. You, yeah. you make sure that all of your items are taken care of. But then you should apply, like you said, prior to you coming down to the wire that you really do need the money. Right. It's very easy for the bank to lend when you have um, assets and you have cash flow and so on and so forth. Um, if you wait till you're in a situation where you – charged up all your credit cards and things of that nature, we'll look at that because, you know, debt-to-income ratio is, plays a part in that process. I know we talked about it in a previous series about financials and getting your house in order, so yes. to speak. I think that's very important for the business owner as well. When they go to you with financing, make sure that balance sheet and that income statement looks good for you because I know you look at that, right? Absolutely. So our recommendation always is when you're going to look at a large Mm -hmm. borrowing uh, instrument, and that could be 
you know, purchasing a commercial property or doing a large line of credit. When somebody comes to me, I always say, have you spoken to your CPA? Mm -hmm. Um, Because the CPA can guide you through certain things that an experience like yourself knows exactly what the bank is going to look for. Right. They've done it a thousand times. And I know when, you know, for you, I even called you on a few uh, situations mm-hmm. to say, Carol, what's your thoughts on, about this situation? And you would say, Jeff, I, I recommend this, this, and this yeah. for this particular client. Right. So that that's fabulous. That That's another avenue that we can look at. But I always recommend that they speak through their CPA. We can give them... Uh, what we require, but the CPA is the one who really guides the financing right. uh, and the financials. So if the bank needs a certain thing, there are times we'll say, can we call your CPA if we have right. a question? Right. Um, most clients will say, absolutely. Some want to be on like a three-way conversation right. where the CPA will give us, we, the bank, some guidelines of why they did a certain a process with clients' uh, tax returns. And once we understand it, it makes it much easier for us because sometimes your client cannot explain what, what actually happened. If there's footnotes on a uh, financial, uh, we talk to the CPA and the CPA explains it to us and understand. We understand why you did what you did. Because I know with some of our clients, some of our returns are, are quite complex. Of course. And, I mean, you're not you're used to raising some financials, but tax returns, I mean, some of them can be two inches thick. So I know what, a lot of times we'll get requests for additional information. We happily give them the information for our clients as well as any explanation if it's needed. So right. that way it helps you make a better decision as a bank and hopefully helps our client get to the the hopefully helps our client get to that end that they wanted. So I think that's a key component, too, for small businesses. Make sure that their key core group of people, their attorney, their banker, their CPA, their all communicate with one another. And we're not in our own islands working apart from one another. Some businesses are so new that they just can't qualify for what I consider conventional Mm -hmm. lending, whether it be for that truck or that tractor or for that big printer. What maybe unconventional lending do you know of that can help? So hard money lending is something that somebody, before they go into it, should really look into it. Um, That's my opinion uh, as a banker. Um, The other items are, could they possibly go through the SBA, the Small Business Administration? That is a fabulous tool via the federal government where they can guide those individuals on the processes. Some banks in our area are preferred lenders for the SBA. And in that process, they can guide um, the clients through. So it's always, I always recommend the SBA because they'll guide you through certain processes. But we have lenders who are, work with the SBA on a normal basis. We call right. them SBA lenders. We right. call them and they go through the process with us. The other thing is, is that if you are looking for commercial lending and you have a business partner right. or um, I can say that though it may not be an individual at 20% ownership, that's another option for you. So there are several different options. Um, You can look at the city that you're in or the county because they also will help, uh, depending on what type of lending you're looking at. 
I know the city and county, they do my, what they call micro lending. Yes. So yeah. something less than five or $10,000, mm-hmm. even 2,500, because some businesses don't need, they just need a little bit of capital to get started with. So there's some micro lending. You know, there's always family members that will help you out. I'm not a real big fan of that because there's always strings that come attached and you want to make sure Christmas dinner is good every year, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So um, that's something we, you know, as a last resort, possibly consider, but it's not my go-to. There are situations, uh, very few and far between, that, you know, an individual who has no lending aspects of what they're trying, you know, when they first begin, they can ask family and friends but we really do look at ownership, partnerships, right. um, and that's extremely important. But like you said, with the you know the city, the counties, um, many of them have different processes to lend a certain dollar amount to start your new business. So there's a lot of different avenues that you can look at. I always recommend that you can talk to the Economic uh, Bureau for your area or one of the universities or colleges, they'll guide you through the process. They'll help you write a business plan. Um, And those are things that we actually look at. Right. Though, you know, it takes some time, but you can go through that process and and it's worthwhile. I know UCF has a business incubator that they run out Mm -hmm. there. That's also, they kind of, you kind of share space with everybody. And so that's a good thing for a lot of small businesses to consider. When we talk about the owner needing credit scores, one of the things I find with especially younger individuals, they don't have any credit history. They've never borrowed money for a car. They've never borrowed money for anything. Mm-hmm. So you can't really get a credit score if you've never had, if you've never utilized credit. Absolutely. So I, I do encourage people to, especially with younger people, to get them a charge card mm-hmm. so they can start building that credit, charging a couple things, paying it off. Extremely important. You know, I know cash is king and everyone would like to be debt free. But if you think you're going to need credit down the road, either for your business or your home, it's always good to start establishing credit. So our philosophy or my philosophy is that if you're 18, 19 years old, uh, don't get 10 different credit cards, you know, if you're in college or whatever, because that could be detrimental to your credit history. But if you're just starting off and you have no credit at 18, 19 years of age, Getting a credit card is really very good. I always recommend you stay below the 30% rule. Don't right. charge it above 30% of the right. outstanding um, right. lending amount. In that process, you make sure you make your payments monthly. Right. Um, keep it revolving. Right. Um, if you owe $200, pay $175. Keep the $25 on just for a certain period of time so the bank can see that you're revolving it with, right. with the uh, credit card company. Um, then you may want to get a secondary one, you know, MasterCard, then Visa, maybe Discover at one point. But don't get 10 different credit cards. Stay right. within the line. I always recommend staying within two or three. Mm. You cannot run a car, a hotel, without a credit card. Mm. And as you go, if you, if your credit is, is brand new, you're right. just starting off – Get a secure credit card. Get one for five hundred dollars. Right. You now you have to save up and you have to put five hundred dollars away. Right. Um, the credit card company will keep it, but that gives you that process. And yes, it, credit is not established within two or three months. No, it's not. It, it takes it takes a while. Yeah, I know. Um, historically, you know, with, even with my kids, I would get them at eighteen, nineteen. I would get a credit card 
that I also had my name on it. Yes, I did um, the same thing. Same thing. But it, they only had like a $2,000 limit. But that way I could see, you know, and help guide them mm-hmm. if they started running arrears on it or whatever. We could help deal with that situation very early on. And getting them a credit card with a $10,000 limit is not, although some may, banks will lend it to you because mom or dad's signing on it, that is not a good Scenario. No, that's why I always think of five hundred to a thousand dollars when you're brand new at eighteen years of age, yeah. when you're just starting your your credit history. Uh, as you go forward, you can always have an increase. And many many the um, credit card companies will increase it exponentially on your your credit history. But having you know being twenty or twenty one years old with a ten thousand dollar credit limit, uh, I I would be cautious. Yeah, I, I that agree. would be me. Yeah. I would be cautious. What else can someone do to improve their credit score? Say I've got a low credit score, I came out of college, or I, you know, I, I hit a bad time during, mm-hmm. uh, during COVID, I fell behind on my car payments, or I fell behind on my rent. That's spilt milk, but what can we do now to help that? So in, in that process, let's say that an individual um, calls me up and says, I, I have bad credit, you know, I'm below 600. And I would say, did you pull your credit bureau report? Take a look at it and see what it tells you because it tells you everything you really want to know. If you missed a couple payments, that will take a period of time to correct. So once again, you you have the credit card and it's a $1,000 limit. Don't go above $300. Make sure you're making those monthly payments. It will – your score will gradually go up. Right. Um, don't go out and get a secondary credit card or a third one. Yeah. Stay with that one until you start to see it. As time progresses, six months or a year, you will see steadily that your credit history goes up. Yeah. I recommend that you do something like – and this is for individuals. You get like something like Credit Karma, though the numbers are not exactly, but it will give you some hints, um, a range of, of what your credit is. In that process, you can manage what you're doing on, you know, a daily basis. Right. Uh, make sure that, you know, if your payment is due on the first of the month, make sure you're paying it like the 25th of the month. Right. And if you can't pay it off, make sure that you're putting as much on it as possible. Right. Leave, you know, if it's $300 and you have $200 in the bank account, pay $200. If it's, you know, possible. Depending, yes. Yeah, I know we, everyone thinks of a missed payment affecting your credit score or missing rent or missing a utility payment. It's one of the things I was aware of at, not until, you know, later on in life, that every time someone pulls a credit score on oh, your credit, yes. decreases your credit score. So I think that's something people need to be aware of too. Don't go to this bank and ask for a loan and then go to this bank and ask for a loan because both of those hits on your credit reduces your credit score. And they stay on for a few years. So yeah. they, they look at it and it's a hard hit to your credit. Yeah. Um, we always say that if you are going to buy um, whatever the case may be, a new automobile or so on and so forth, and you go to a, um, a dealership, don't go to five different dealerships. Right. Shop, look at what you want before you uh, have anyone pull your credit. And go to the uh, financing department. Exactly. Yeah. Because financing departments within uh, automobile um, organizations w- can pull five different credit bureaus. Um, right. But if you're shopping to five, if you want to 
uh, a Ford, a Chevy, a, a, a Nissan, a Mercedes, or whatever the case may be, look at what you want to buy before you actually have them pull your credit. Because if that's not the right one and you go down the street, like right on Colonial Drive, you go to five different dealerships, each one of those are pulling your credit and it really does affect you. And it takes a while for those to drop off. And in that process, you want to get something a little different. That's still affecting your credit. I think the other thing that affects credit, too, is in this world of um, you're married, your spouse ran ran up the credit cards, and it really was no fault of your own, but your name was on that card. So that's another thing. I I encourage uh, even married couples to have their own credit and not always joint credit because if that does, in fact, happen, yes, you can call the credit bureaus and tell them what's happened. They may adjust your credit a little, but you're still going to carry that. You, you still carry it because if you're a co-owner, mm. not an authorized user, right. uh, like you were mentioning with your with your children where you would get them a, you know, a $2,000 credit card right. or 1000 whatever the case may be. In that process, anything that your spouse does or anyone who significant other um, plays a role in your credit history. So if... John charges up all of his credit, but Jane's on it as a co-owner. Jane's credit is being damaged. Um, So one individual, let's say John applied for and was approved, he can make Jane an authorized user or vice versa. Jane has the credit card. She was the initial uh, borrower, and John becomes an authorized user. John's not, it's not being reported off of John, depending on what type. And you need to ask that credit card company, as an authorized user, are we reporting to, for an authorized user? And make sure you get, you know, the the correct answer. Right. Which is why, again, separate credit for each one of you. Yes, absolutely. That's a wonderful idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've seen a lot, you know, about how the credit and the banking all comes to parlay in the, in the small businesses. Any last words of advice for these? Uh, my biggest thing with anyone who's shopping around for a bank, if you're going to go into the bank for particular services, and mind you, it doesn't have to be all brick and mortar, but your bank is close to you, make sure you build a relationship with a banker. Make sure that you, you're able to call that banker from, you know, 8.30 to 5 o'clock, whatever the case may be, depending on their hours. Um, like you mentioned earlier, having a process where a CPA can guide you through, a banker can guide you through. Uh, we always say, if you need it, make sure you have a good attorney. Uh, or somebody, you know, these individuals are, and of course, they're always a doctor, but these individuals are those individuals that when something happens, you can call and say, I have this situation, what do you recommend? Yeah. Um, banks, for the most part, all have the same, roughly speaking, have the same products and services. But if you have a good banker, right. um, and it doesn't matter if it's a head teller or a teller or um, a financial specialist or an assistant manager or manager. The position doesn't matter as long as you have somebody that can guide you and help you because you get to learn those other individuals in the branch. Um, you have an advocate for yourself. Absolutely. There are so many times that a client will call customer care, and we know this 
they call customer care. Well, if you call customer service, customer care, whatever your bank utilizes, like a 1-800 number, every time you call, you're explaining your situation five times the same way. Right. Where if you have a banker, and I mean a, somebody who can call, right. not necessarily on their cell phone, but you call them at the office and say, hi, this is Carol Felsing. I have a situation. And they know who you are. Well, actually, you don't even have to say Carol Felsen. You just say, hi. <laughs> so it's quite different. But building those relationships with any individual that affects your, your nucleus of, of your process in your company and personally is a wonderful asset. That's what I recommend. I do too because, again, the time to get credit is not when you need it. The time to build relationships is not when you're in a crisis and need it. The time to build the relationship is from day one. Absolutely. Wow. Very well said. I have to borrow that. (laughs) Day one. I really appreciate, Jeff, you coming and helping our clients out and giving them some words of wisdom and hopefully some key points that they can take on as they grow their business. As always. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Can We Talk? Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Carol Felsing, Managing Partner with Felsing LLC, as we ask the question, how to sell a business. Thanks for listening. And join us next time as we continue our conversation with Carol Felsing, Partner with Felsing LLC. You've been listening to Can We Talk? Taxes, Trustees, and Entrepreneurs. Please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts connect with us on social, and submit any tax-related questions to info at felsingcpa.com.